Welcome to In My Backyard, an open conversation about children and mental health. We all know a child who's struggling, whether that child tells us or not. In this podcast, we speak with experts on the many factors of emotional distress in children, how to address those factors, and how to create a community where all children can be healthy and happy. This podcast is made possible through generous donations from supporters and listeners like you. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Your host is Trisha Costales, CEO of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. I'm Trisha Costales, your host of In My Backyard. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the chief executive officer of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency serving 3,500 children and families every year. Today's podcast will be a little different than usual as we have the second of our special stories episodes. In this one, we'll have a conversation with Lexi, a former Guidance Center client. Lexi will talk to us about the experiences that led her to treatment and what it was like receiving therapy as a child. Welcome, Lexi. I'm so happy to have you here today. I had the great joy of meeting you when you were honored um, as a speaker at a recent Guidance Center event, and I can say your story moved everybody that day and prompted for me the idea to spread your inspiration to a larger audience. Um, for our listeners, would you like to say a few words about yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really great um, to be here today and speaking with you again. Um, since the event, uh, Sunset Sip. Yeah, my name is Lexi. I'm 19 years old. I'm a almost second year student in college at UC Berkeley. I'm studying psychology and I was born and raised in Long Beach, California. Um, yeah, I'm also the oldest child. Um, I identify as pansexual and I am part of, uh, I'm Latina as well. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I guess, I mean, let me start with this. Um, it's very brave to want to share your story, but I'm curious what made you want to come here to share your experiences? Well, I feel like a lot of um, people who go through similar stories like mine don't really have the opportunity to speak out about it or advocate for um, awareness. And so that's why I really wanted to come on here today, not only to share my story to people who um, haven't spoken up about it, but also to resonate with others who have and just add on to the advocacy for um, sexual abuse. Um, so what first then brought you into treatment? What was going on in your life at that time? Yeah, so um, since I was a little kid, I was hard of hearing, and I had a hearing aid and on one ear only, but I was very um, self-conscious about it. I was teased a lot as a kid for having it because it was obviously visible, and a lot of kids, you know, would be like, oh, what is that? And would pick on me for it and touch it and things like that, and so I struggled a lot with self-confidence and just... Um, feeling okay in my own skin because of that whether I know it's there's nothing wrong with being hard of hearing obviously but because of all the teasing I felt like 
um, I didn't fit in or I was different. And so I really wanted to work on that. And also my social skills were really affected. And so um, I went with my primary doctor and they recommend, recommended me the guidance center, um, which was really great for youth. And so I gave it a try. So yeah, that's really why I went in for the first time. How how old were you then, more or less? Do you recall? I was, yeah, I was around, I think I had just turned 14. Okay. Which is, which is young. Were you, were you scared when you first came to sessions? What was that like for you that first time in the door? It was scary because, you know, back then therapy was almost looked down upon, um, in the social world as teenagers, it was more of like, oh, if you're in therapy, it's because you're sick or you're crazy. And so I was very nervous because I wasn't sure what treatment would look like. I wasn't sure how much I could share if I trusted my therapist and just like overall, if it was going to work for me as well. Um, At the time, I didn't understand if it would really help at all because of the the stigma against therapy. So that's, it was very nerve wracking. I won't lie for me. So then once you got past that, what was the treatment experience like for you? Like, how did it help? Did it help? What was the, could you just talk a little bit about what that felt like? Yeah. So we firstly addressed a lot of anxiety and social anxiety issues that I had. Um, It was really fun because my therapist, um, her name was Andrea, who is a former therapist at the Guidance Center. Um, She was really great. She helped me with social cues and overall um, being able to speak and presenting myself in front of people. We would practice together um, at libraries during our sessions. We would go to libraries and cafes and she would let me practice how to order even a coffee is little things like that. It was really fun. And we would also do activities like coloring and just like being able to have an outlet for my anxiety as well. Um, over time, we addressed things um, regarding my confidence, and I opened up about why I was so self-conscious about my hearing aid. And we also worked on that. It was really great. I talked a lot and just got a lot off of my chest, and it felt really good to you know have someone to listen to me as well. Um, yeah, and that's basically what we worked on a lot of like anxiety and grounding techniques and activities were the most helpful for me. I'm, I'm more of like a hands-on learner. So that was like really great. I ha- I have to say like listening to you now and we've had a handful of conversations and I saw you give a speech in front of 200 plus strangers. It's really hard for me to imagine you having a hard time with public speaking or social interaction yeah. because you're you were so poised. <laughs> Anytime I've ever met you, you have been so poised. Um so what a shift from where you were to where you are now in that regard, huh? Yeah, exactly. And I think it has served me a lot in school as well and presenting projects or even like, for example, opportunities where I am able to give a speech. I would have never been able to do that before, um, at, like before I got to the guidance center, which is crazy to me now. But Yeah, like look at you now, right? <laughs> And then at some point, some years later, you decided to return to the Guidance Center for Treatment a second time. Um, do you feel comfortable telling us what happened and how that came about? 
Yeah. So after I finished my first treatment, it was about a year long with Andrea. We worked on what I had addressed before, anxiety and self-confidence. I felt good. And so we stopped treatment. I had a great experience with her. It was really fun. Um, But when I turned around 15 years old, I was sexually assaulted multiple times. And so I felt a little silly going back right away after I just finished treatment. Also, I was going through a lot at the time with my parents and their divorce and their separating as well as school and anxiety and just, it felt like everything that I had worked for kind of just reset. And it was really hard to speak up about it because it felt like kind of pointless to do it again. And I just felt really hopeless at the time. And it was really hard because, you know, I had done so much, I made so much progress, and then I reached such a low point in my life that it felt kind of futile to just, you know, try up up again. And so for years, I suppressed what had happened to me, and I didn't speak to anybody about it. I never even said it out loud for a very, very long time. And it only got worse from there because my anxiety just worsened again. And it was terrible. I felt terrible. I wasn't confident anymore. And everything that I had gone with, like everything that I had done with Andrea was just, you know, back to square one. And so I, I felt really low and my parents started noticing and, you know, they advised me that maybe I should do therapy again because I, my anxiety was just at a thousand percent. It was just extremely high. And so it was also during the time where I was going to apply to colleges. And so they really wanted me to get back on track and get on my feet and, you know, get my anxiety at a lower level because they really needed me to be on top of my studies. And it was just a very critical point in my life as well. And so that's why I returned to the guidance center for the second time um, around November in 2020. So Lexi, you, at this point, you, you still had not told anybody that you had been sexually assaulted? No, I had not. Um, it was still suppressed, even though I started therapy again, it took a really long time. It took months, um, in treatment again with Dr. Chloe to open up about that because I would tell her all of my anxiety symptoms, including dissociation symptoms. And she would just, she told me one day the like, you have all these puzzles, puzzle pieces, but there's just one missing, like the puzzle is missing one piece. So what is going on? And I thought like to myself, is it worth saying it out loud? I had never even said it out loud, but I, I took that leap of hope because I really felt like you know, maybe some things could change. Maybe my anxiety would get better. And she's telling me that I'm missing a part of my story that I'm not telling her. And so I told her, you know what, after I finished treatment at the guidance center right away, like if maybe a month or two after I finished treatment, um, I was sexually abused by a current boyfriend that I had at the time. And she looked at me and she was like, that's exactly what was missing. You can't just have a lot of anxiety and dissociation and depression without telling me this, like you need to tell me this to get better. And I think for the rest of the session, I just cried because it was over Zoom, but I just cried and cried. And I was like, I had never, ever said that before out loud. 
What did it ultimately feel like finally sharing the trauma of what happened to you? It was really hard because since I had never really processed it or accepted it and said it out loud, it was it was hard to really, you know, say it. It's hard to say it more than, you know, than go through it because it's it makes it real. That's what made it real for me. Making it, you know, public to someone was just extremely, you know, it kind of hit me like a truck. It was really hard for me. But at the same time, I felt like a big weight off my shoulders too. Um. You talked about having dissociation, and for our listeners, could you sort of explain what you mean by that? Like, what what was happening for you? Yeah, so as I said, I had suppressed it for years, since I was 15, and I didn't say it out loud till I was 18, so it was about three years and a half. It's a long time to hold that by yourself, Lexi. Yeah, it was a while, and so... I felt like very disconnected from my surroundings for a long time, for like a year and a half. And I felt not part of the present moment when I was with friends or with my family. I felt very disconnected from my body. I didn't feel like myself, which is a very scary feeling to feel like, especially when you don't know what's happening to you. It's just, it kind of just comes to you. And it's very particular. I think it's a very interesting disorder in my opinion because you just feel like you're not real you don't feel like you're here and I felt that for a very long time and it was just giving me so much anxiety and I was just so confused like why don't I feel like I'm here why don't I feel present what's going on am I even real I would question my own existence like you know and so that's what really brought me in as well because of the dissociation well and it's when you're experiencing that too, it's, you know, it's hard to believe that anybody would understand or that anyone else has, has gone through this, but actually what you're describing, like we know is a really natural and common response to a horrible thing that happened to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, dissociation is a response to trauma which I had no idea about I was very confused I was never able to label what I was feeling and so when I told all my symptoms to Dr. Chloe it was a relief because I was finally able to put a name on it but I didn't know why it was happening to me and so when I told her about my story it kind of just all fit in together and it felt really good to know that that's, you know, I thought I had an explanation that I had, you know, a definition and a name on it. Right, right. That you could finally understand what it was yeah. that was going on for you. So your therapist, Dr. Chloe, she was the first person you told ultimately, right? Yes. What was it like then taking the leap and then telling your mom or your loved ones, um, what was that like for you or what was the process that, because, you know, you're, you're obviously speaking, you speak out about this now. So at some point you had to take the leap and tell your mom, um, what was that like for you? 
Dr. Chloe and I um, created a narrative story. So we basically writ, writ, wrote um, a story in which I, it was just basically a collection of like happy memories and then my sexual assault story and then what I felt after. That's basically the order in, in which it was in it. And I translated it into Spanish because my mom speaks Spanish and I felt like it would add more value saying it to her in her language. Um, I was at Berkeley at, at the time. I moved to Berkeley. I was in college, so I wasn't like face to face with her. And I told her my narrative and I told her my story through Zoom. Wow. Um, and it was really hard. It was one of the hardest moments in my life. What made it so hard, Lexi? I felt like it made it a thousand times more real. And it was just such a vulnerable like part of me that I was very scared to be judged um, on. And I felt like she would see me differently. And she didn't. It was she was the most accepting person. And I just couldn't stop crying over the Zoom session. I was in my dorm. It was around 7 p.m. and I was just crying and I just felt so loved and accepted and heard and seen, which I didn't feel like that for years. And so it was really great, but at the same time, it was so hard. I I mean, I can I can only imagine and to do it when you're physically apart as well, um, adds a whole nother layer to that. So her response was supportive, it sounds like. Yeah, she was. And and she was very encouraging. She would tell me, it's okay, mama, like you can say it. Like you can tell me anything, it's fine. You know, I'm here for you. I won't judge you for anything. It's your story, it's not mine. It's not mine to say anything about, it's yours and you own it, and you can tell me, and so I did, and it was, it was really great, um, afterwards, I was just more scared of her reaction, I'm not gonna lie, but she made me feel very secure. So afterwards, how did you feel differently afterwards? I felt very, yeah, just supported overall, and just really comfortable, and really loved. Oh, that uh good for your mom right <laughs> good for your mom yeah. that that's that's what we want um when we make ourselves vulnerable like that um so you know part of this you know telling your mom and reaching out and you know trying to sort of let go of the secret right was is a big part of treatment but how else did getting treatment help you like what was the what stood out for you as the element of your therapy um around this this assault that that you felt really helped you I think the transparency of it was really helpful. Dr. Chloe was very transparent with all the terms, the terminology, everything that we would do together. She would explain it thoroughly and say why we were doing it and how it would help. For example, a grounding technique that we would do a lot um, was breathing exercises. 
and she would be very transparent and explained how the technique would help with my anxiety and how I would be able to use it in the future. And she did that a lot with a lot of um, our treatment. She would just be very transparent. I think that's very important because I want to know, you know, I, I like having names and labels for everything. It's very important and it, it gives me anxiety when I don't know what I'm doing. And so she was very helpful in being transparent. And I think that was, it made me feel way more comfortable and way more secure in treatment and just I, I, I trusted her a lot because of that as well. Lexi, do you think, you know, one of the things we have a number of therapists too, that listen to this podcast. And, you know, as someone, when I saw clients, my um, specialty was kids who had been sexually abused or sexually assaulted. That's, that's what I saw. And when I train on that issue, I say to therapists that, you know, we have to make sure that how we interact in the sessions are that it's not prohibiting our clients from making disclosures to us. Like, oh, we don't, we can't give an impression that that's too big to tell us. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, what it meant to you that Chloe was able to see that something was going on and she, she pretty clearly left a door open. I can handle this. You can tell me, it sounds like what, what did that mean for you that she gave you that safe place like that? It actually meant the world to me because throughout the three years that I had not said anything, I felt like I never had a window or nobody noticed that something was wrong that you were hurting as much as you were exactly and so when she noticed it just felt like it's what I was missing for so long and I just needed like one person to notice I honestly was always looking for a window to let it out and nobody had ever noticed nobody said hey did something happen or are you okay? You don't look good anymore. And so when Dr. Chloe told me like, you know, there's something wrong. There's something you're not telling me. It's what I had, like, I wanted to hear that. It's what I most yearned for. And so it felt almost liberating and so welcoming to hear that. How are you doing now with your anxiety? No, I, th I think I'm better. Um, I mean, it's mental health is a journey and it's, it's a process, you know, like, I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm currently looking for therapy because I'm an adult now still, but, um, so I can't return to the guidance center, but I think it's better. I, it's a journey for me. I've always struggled with it. So, but I think it's definitely improved. What, what, tools do you use like to help you cope when you do feel anxious oh I I do a lot of grounding techniques that I learned with Dr. Chloe like breathing or visualization um I also like to take my mind off of things I like reading I've always loved reading I so I read just outside on my porch sometimes um journaling is also 
one of the biggest things that has helped me as well through my entire life. I've always journaled. And so those are some of the things that I do to help. What would you say to any listeners out there, um, boys or girls who have had experiences like yours, experiences of sexual assault or um, abuse that, and that they're afraid to tell, what would, what would you say to them? I would just say that I feel them. I feel their pain. I feel the fear and the hurt and the loneliness. It gets dark. It gets real. And I get that. I can't imagine how lonely those three years must have been that this huge and horrible thing happened to you and truly nobody knew for that long. I can't imagine how lonely that must have been. Yeah. And it was very lonely. It was very dark. But you know, looking back and reflecting now, I realized that I had a lot of people around me who loved me, who would have been able to help me the second that it happened. And I didn't know that. I was just scared and I felt almost embarrassed, ashamed, but there was nothing embarrassing. There was nothing shameful. There's nothing to be scared of. Because it wasn't nobody's fault except the person who did it to me. That's exactly it, right. It wasn't my fault. It's not our fault. The people who have been abused, it's, it's never our fault. So I guess also what I would say is just, you know, I, you hear this all the time that you're not alone, but it's true. You're not alone. And there's nothing embarrassing. There's nothing shameful in getting help. So you would encourage people to try to tell. Yeah, to speak up or just find somebody or just, you know, try. I think like what I didn't do back then was I didn't try. And there's nothing wrong with trying. Um, what made you want to share your story today? You shared so beautifully and eloquently at um, our event at Sunset Sip and um, I know you were eager to do this podcast. I kept checking to make sure you were okay. And you're like, oh, I want to do this. So what, what made you want to? It's, it seems like such a journey you've been on from sort of where you were to, to where you are now. And I know you still struggle with anxiety, but I mean, you just come across as so poised and confident. And so, and to to publicly share your story this way, what was your motivation for that? My motivation for that would be my younger self. Hmm. Seeing her and seeing her after she was sexually assaulted, that is my motivation. And I think that should be motivation for all people who have been assaulted or abused. You know, your younger self is your number one supporter. I mean, you've been with yourself since forever and that's quite obvious, but you know, that's how I see it. And also just making sure that other people 
know that it's it's not just them it's other people as well and they're not alone and even so they're still very valid but you know that if I could get through it they could also get through it you know one thing we know statistically and statistics matter a lot less than I think human stories so that's the power of you telling your story but like we know statistically it depends on where you're reading but they say between one and four and one and five women are sexually assaulted in the course of their lifetime and I I carry that with me like if I'm in a room of people, I assume that there's somebody or several people perhaps in the room with me who have had that experience. And, you know, I try to conduct myself accordingly and treat everyone with empathy and kindness because I don't know what story they're carrying. But, you know, that's that's a, a club nobody wants to be a part of. But it is true what you said earlier that, you know, you're not alone, right? Yeah. And that's very sad to me, actually, how common it is. And I didn't realize how common common it was until like a few months ago. Um, and I feel like social media has a big st- stigma against it as well, especially um, against men. Um, because men are way less heard because they are usually the ones who are doing the assaulting. But when men are assaulted by men or by women, they're not taken account for or they're called liars or whatever it may be there's just a huge stigma against them and I think it's kind of ridiculous because they're just as equal as women their stories is also equal as valid as ours I could not possibly agree with you more so Um, yeah yeah. and it's just like it's crazy to me how it's how common it is but at the same time it's also important to remember that regardless of one in five or like one in four each and everyone's stories matter yeah absolutely absolutely that that is very true so what's what's next for you I want to I want to brag just for a second on your behalf uh you did mention Lexi that you're at Berkeley but I want to say that not only are you at Berkeley you got a free ride to Berkeley you're such a rock star um you know Berkeley of all amazing schools to be at and that you're there on a full scholarship despite all you've gone through is just such cause for celebration um but what's next for you what do you see your hope for your future Thank you. Um, Well, right now I'm studying psychology. Um, Given that, you know, everything that's happened, it's inspired me to actually be my, uh, to be a therapist and achieve a PhD or a PsyD. Um, I want to work with children, especially just youth in general, Um, especially with families or youth who are low income and people of color as well. So you could come work at the guidance center. Basically, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that would be excellent. Talk about full circle, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I always say one of the biggest truisms about um, therapists, especially child therapists, people don't generally choose to be a child therapist because they had a, a really happy childhood. Um, so 
you know, you, you get the help and you get the support and you see how that works. And like so many people then, like, I want to give back this, this really changed my life. Yeah, exactly. It, it changed my life. Really being at the Gannon Center has only made my life better. And so I want to be that for someone. I want to at least help a little bit in my community and you know, be there for youth because I think the youth is the future. So I, I uh, could not be happier that the guidance center was able to be a safe place for you, Lexi. I'm, I'm just so glad for that and so excited to learn about what comes next for you. But you know, I always end these conversations on a note of hope, and I think you yourself are a symbol of hope, but you've been through so much. You've already accomplished so much. What gives you hope as you move on to the next stages of your life? Like, what are the bright sides for you? I think the bright sides for me would be the people around me and just people in general. I've always loved people. As as anxious as I am, I still love talking and interacting with others and just seeing how other people interact with me and laughing and just being with people really gives me a lot of motivation and hope because we're around people all the time and so having good moments small moments with my family or with my friends really keep me going and as well as my own individualism and just recognizing how far I've gotten also gives me a lot of hope and just how much I strive as well. Yeah, thank you just so much for your incredible bravery in sharing your story with us today. Um, I can very safely say that you're an inspiration to all of us and I have no doubt that you're gonna continue to accomplish great things and I hope you stay in touch with us because Lexi, I, I can tell you, I've been in this field for a long time and, and you inspire me for sure. Um, and I, I just really appreciate you. So, and thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. That actually makes me very tearful. I've never heard that before. It's really rare for me to give, get um, positive feedback like that. Oh, and- so well, it deserve it. <laughs> it means a lot when people say that they're proud of me or that I've accomplished a lot. It really makes me happy and brings a lot of tears to my eyes because it's I've I rarely say it to myself. So hearing it from somebody else is really meaningful to me. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. It's my position that by shining a light on these issues, admitting that they are in our own backyards, it will be easier for a struggling child to get some help. Ideally, we can all begin to be kinder and more supportive of each other. In My Backyard is brought to you by The Guidance Center, a children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. In My Backyard is produced by Trisha Costales and Matthew Murray. Thank you to J. Vincent B. for original music. All other music licensed through Soundstripe. Thank you to our listeners and supporters. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Subscribe to In My Backyard 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.